King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. I was lying in my bed. The images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God. And the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land, Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it the beasts of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, Cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal, till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The Holy One declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can. Because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time. And his thoughts terrified him. 
So the king said, Belteshatter, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air. You, O king, are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. You, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field, while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my lord the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its root means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right, and your wickedness be kind, being kind to the oppressed. It may be that when your prosperity, that it may be then that your prosperity will continue. All this happened to the king Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon, he said. Is not this great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair uh, grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. 
His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases, and the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No, sorry, no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honour and splendour were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisers and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Thank you very much, Jen. It's quite a, a long chapter there. Um, so thank you very much for reading all of that. Um, if, you, if you've got your Bibles open, um, please do keep them open. And then you can check that what I'm saying is, uh, is in there. Um, I forgot the, forgot the slides up. So this, yeah, this is the, the fourth um, fourth chapter of Daniel. This is the last one that's got um, Nebuchadnezzar in it. Um, so, so the book of Daniel is, um, most of the chapters tend to centre around um, a story involving one of the kings of Babylon. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the, the first one and he's, these first four chapters. Uh, in chapter 5 we'll meet um, Belshazzar um, who was sort of a few kings down the line and eventually we'll meet um, Darius and, and Cyrus who we, we talked about when we were doing Ezra as well, but this is the last one uh, with Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, maybe may one of the sort of less less known, less well known um, chapters in Daniel. I think there's quite a few that are very well known. Daniel in the lion's den and the, the furnace that we looked at last time. Um, but this this one is uh, yeah quite quite weird really. Um, another another dream from Nebuchadnezzar. If you remember in chapter two, um, we saw that he he had a strange dream that Daniel interpreted. Um, <coughs> But yeah, let's, um, let's just have a, have a quick um, recap of, of where we are, what the background is um, to, to Daniel. Uh, I'm just going to move this mic up as well, so I can't see my notes. Um, so, um, so the Israelite nation, God's chosen people, um, they've been taken out of Israel. Um, it was God's judgment on them. They've been taken out of Israel and taken to Babylon. Um, and they're, they're under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar, and the temple has been left behind. And this was like this was a massive thing for the Israelites. The temple was that they saw that as where God was. So to leave it behind, lots of them were thinking, you know, we've, God, God's been left behind. Um, and God, God had promised them way back in Genesis. He promised Abraham that there would be a great nation. And, um, and they, would, they would endure, they would have a land of their own. Um, and uh, and it, seem, it seems like God's promises uh, are kind of falling apart, really. Um, so, so they're out of the land, they're, they're feeling like they've been abandoned and sort of left to their own devices. And I think there might have been two, um, two different reactions that the Israelites could have had here. Um, one of them might have been despair. Because it seems like God is, God is not in control. They thought he was in charge, but actually, you know, they've been t- his promises are falling apart, so how, how can God be in control? Um, and, and the other reaction that they might have had was pride, because the Israelites were actually um, badly oppressed 
in Babylon. Lots of them had, um, had high positions. Daniel himself was, was a ruler, and his friends that we thought about last time, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, they, they all had high positions. We've seen in Nehemiah, um, in our growth groups, that, that Nehemiah himself was, was cupbearer to the king. Um, so I think a lot of them would have been tempted to think, actually, God, God is out of the picture, and we're doing all right. You know, he's, he's left us, he's allowed the Babylonians to take us, but we're doing okay by ourselves. Um, <clears throat> I mean, the, guy, the guys that, that I've mentioned there, uh, Daniel and Nehemiah and, and Daniel's friends, um, I think um, those, those guys were obviously still worshipping God. But when we, when we get to Ezra and, and we've seen how, um, how few Israelites really went back, um, I think it's obvious that, that some of them must have been thinking this way. So, so this chapter that we come to now, Daniel chapter 4, um, God is um, speaking to his people and he's, he's reminding them that he is God most high. He is still at work, even though some of them don't believe it, even though they've left the temple behind, God is still at work. And therefore, there's no room for either of those two reactions. There's no room for pride and there's no room for despair um, because God is still there and he's still at work. And I think, uh, I think God does it in a slightly unusual way. Um, so this chapter is written as a letter um, from Nebuchadnezzar to the nations. Um, a letter that is written, um, if you look at verse 2, um, to tell the nations about the, the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for him. Now that's a bit of a surprise, isn't it? That, um, that Nebuchadnezzar, who is in charge of one of the most powerful nations on earth, is telling the other nations that there's someone more powerful than him. And something incredible must have happened. And, uh, and as Joan read to us, something incredible did happen. Um, so so let's, let's dig into the chapter. Um, I've split it into three, um, three rough chunks, which hopefully should help us see the, the progression of Nebuchadnezzar um, as we go through this story, as he retells it to us. Um, so first of all, uh, we've got a, a heap of pride. Nebuchadnezzar was a proud king. Um, we already saw that um, in, in the previous chapter of Daniel. Um, so chapter 2, there was this dream about the statue which had um, a head of uh, gold. And, and Daniel said, that's, that's you Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. You know, you're a great and powerful nation. But other nation, you, you'll, you'll fall and other nations will follow you. But then what happens in chapter 3? Nebuchadnezzar sets up his own statue, which is made completely of gold. He's sort of thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm gold, I'm it. It's all, you know, it's all about me. And he makes people uh, worship him. Um, and then in, in this chapter, in verse 4, <coughs> um, we, see, we see his pride again, don't we? He says, I was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. He thinks he's got it all sorted. He's created this, this great kingdom, uh, taken over lots of smaller nations. He's accumulated great wealth. And we know from, from verse 30, if we just um, flick on uh, over the page to verse 30, he says, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? That's, that's his heart attitude. Despite all the things that he's 
um, that he's seen, that God has done, all the amazing things, he, he still thinks he's number one. He puts himself up there more powerful than, than God himself. Um, and, and we still see him worshipping other gods. Um, he refers to Daniel as Belteshazzar, um, which he named him after one of his own, his own gods. Um, but what, what's so bad about this? What is so wrong with pride? Well, I think the Bible is 100% clear that pride is such a terrible, uh, terrible sin because it stops us from worshipping God as we should, worshipping God as he deserves. Um, Psalm 10 verse 4. So therefore it says, In his pride the wicked man does not seek him, does not seek God. In all his thoughts there is no room for God. So if we, if we think we've got it all sorted, if we're confident in our own abilities, if we're proud of all our achievements and uh, acknowledge God as the source of them, um, then, then we'll have no room for God in our lives. Like, why, why, why do we need God? And we won't, certainly won't have any room for his commands. Um, there's a story about another king in the Old Testament, in the book of 2 Chronicles. Um, his name was Uzziah. He was the king of Judah, the, the southern part of Israel, after it had been divided. And, uh, and he was a great king. He was in this king when he was just 16. And, uh, and the Bible says that he, was a, he seemed to be a godly man. And, and he was a brilliant king for the nation. He, he set up um, a great army. Um, he, he defeated all the nations that came and tried to attack. He built great towers to defend Israel. Um, and he, he was famous. And he, um, he had great wealth as well. And, and he was very powerful. Um, but tragically, we read in chapter 26 of 2 Chronicles, um, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God because he thought that he could enter the temple, um, the bit where the, only the priests could go. And they tried to tell him, that's, that's not right. That's against God's commands. But he wouldn't listen to them. And God struck him down with leprosy. And that's the way he stayed until the day he died, all because of his pride. Um, in the next chapter, um, in chapter 5, we'll see how King Belshazzar was a proud king as well, and how that was, that was fatal for him. I'm sure you've all heard the saying, pride comes before a fall. Um, that's, that's from the book of Proverbs. See, pride exalts me and diminishes God. Pride says... I can do it by myself. I've got the, the talents and the abilities. I've got the personality. I've got the wealth to get by just fine without God. Um, I think we, we can use the word pride in a good way as well. Um, I think the New Testament uses the word pride in a good way, almost exclusively, in fact. Um, there, is, there is a kind of pride that's okay. So, for example, uh, I'm proud of the fact that I've got a degree from Cambridge University. Now that, that turns into a bad kind of pride if I glorify myself because of that. Um, if I think, and I'm brilliant, and I'm fantastic, that, that's obviously pride. Um, but if I'm, if I'm giving the glory to God, then, then I think that's, that's okay. Um, I, I guess the, the other kind of pride that we might think about is um, pride in what our children have done. Um, 
so this is the sort of time when there are all sorts of like sports tournaments and um, and you know musical concerts and things like that um, that you might go to and think, yeah, I'm really proud of my, my son or daughter um, for for what they're doing. But if we glorify ourselves and think, aren't I a great parent for bringing them up that way, or aren't they fantastic in in all their abilities and fail to give the glory to God, that's when it really becomes the sin of pride. Um, so, so yeah, the, the key is that the glory should ultimately um, go to God. So I think that's an important um, differentiation to make. Um, so we've seen that, that Nebuchadnezzar is a, is a really proud man, um, and God sends this dream to him, and it makes him afraid. The great king of Babylon is, is afraid, he's terrified. It says in chapter 2, when he had a dream, he was just troubled, but it's been ramped up and not to this time. Um, so he calls in Daniel, his, uh, his chief um, dream interpreter, to interpret it for him. Um, and I've called this next section uh, a holy promise, because uh, we'll see that this is a, a dream that's given by God, um, which promises Nebuchadnezzar about things that are going to come. Uh, so his, his dream, um, as he recounts it to Daniel, starts like this. Um, have a look at verses 10 to 12 with me. Uh, there's a big, a big tree. Well, not just big, but absolutely enormous. Verse 10, it reaches up to the sky. It's visible to the ends of the earth. Um, it's, it's large. It's strong. It's one, one mighty tree. Um, I've got a picture here of a tree called Hyperion, apparently. It's in America. It's supposed to be the tallest tree in the world, 115 metres tall, um, which... It's just impossible to imagine, really. This, this is a, a huge tree which reaches right up to the sky. Um, it's, and it's pleasing to the eye as well, this tree, the, the one in the dream. Uh, it's pleasing to the eye, it's beautiful. Um, and it's a benevolent tree as well. So if you look at verse 12, um, it had abundant fruit, it had food for all. Um, from, every, uh, from it, every creature was fed. And it provided shelter to all the animals. Uh, and a home for the birds. As Daniel tells us later, this is Nebuchadnezzar. He is the tree. He's got everything going for him. He's a mighty and powerful king who has taken over many nations um, but also built a kingdom in which his people are are happy and and content. He's a man that you would really say he's got it all. But not for long. Let's have a look at the second half of the dream. Um, so Nebuchadnezzar is, is stood looking at the tree when suddenly a messenger comes down from heaven. Notice the, the contrast there with the tree that's kind of growing up and, and reaching up to heaven. But even though it's massive, um, the messenger still has to come down from heaven. It's like, uh, it's like the Tower of Babel um, from the book of Genesis, where man tries to build a tower all the way up to God. But it says that God looks down on their tower However, however much we try and reach up to heaven, God is still looking down. <coughs> and, uh, and this messenger's got some bad news for the tree. It's, it's going to be cut down. And it's going to be stripped of its glory. All the things that made it so great, um, its enormous height, its beauty, its food and its shelter, um, they would no longer be true. All that's going to remain is a stump. And uh, I, d- I don't know if you noticed, um, 
that the imagery changes, doesn't it, from uh, it starts to call the stump he. So it kind of changes a little bit from, um, from the stump into a person, um, which kind of prepares us for what the interpretation is. And this, this man is to live with the animals, is to become like an animal in his mind. Uh, and this will happen for seven times, it says, uh, which I think is just another way of saying seven years. Um, and again, when Daniel comes to, to interpret the dream, this is, this is talking about Nebuchadnezzar. He's the one who's going to lose his majesty and his sanity, and he's going to have to go and live with the animals for all this time. Um, well, what's, what's the purpose of this? Verse 17 um, tells us, I'll put it up there because I think this is a really important verse. Um, it says that the purpose is so that um, he may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. So um, God, God knows that Nebuchadnezzar is not acknowledging him as the ultimate king. Um, it's not acknowledging as, as Lord, as, as more powerful than himself. Um, and, and he's going to face something of God's judgment for that. Because um, God hates pride. And that's exactly what, what Nebuchadnezzar has, has got going on. Um, so the judgment shouldn't really surprise us. But I think what, what is a bit surprising is that this is not ultimate judgment. Notice that, um, that there's still a stump left. Nebuchadnezzar is not going to be wiped out completely, um, even, though, even though he's already had loads of chances to turn to God. God has given him another one. Um, it gives him, well, it gives him another two, really. It gives him a chance to repent here and now. Um, Daniel says to him, um, "Be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that your prosperity will continue." But even if he doesn't respond to that, and as we know he doesn't, um, the stump is still going to be there. The king's still going to live. Um, God is, is so patient and so merciful, even with someone like Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and I think, I think it's the same with us. Um, God gives us chance after chance to, to turn to him and to acknowledge him as our ultimate ruler. might be um, some people in here who, who haven't done that yet, you might still think of yourself as being the, the sort of ultimate ruler and authority of your own life. And if that is you, um, as Daniel said, um, be pleased to accept this advice. Turn to God. Acknowledge him as, as your ruler. And, uh, and, and believe in Jesus and, and trust that he, he died um, for your sins in your place to bring you back into that that right relationship with God um, that, that we're supposed to have. The reason God hasn't sent Jesus back um, yet to judge the world, the reason he's waiting is because he's been patient um, and he, he wants people to repent and to believe in him and to turn to him and to acknowledge him as their, their Lord and their Saviour. But, um, but we, we can never know when our last chance is um, so, so why not take the opportunity to do it today, if you haven't done it already? Okay, well let's um, let's have a look at how um, Nebuchadnezzar responds um, to this uh, this dream, this interpretation. And um, 
quite like the title of this section. Humble pie. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, by the way, they're all HP. So, heap of pride, holy promise, humble pie. Hopefully that makes it a bit easier to remember. So, well, we, we know what happens next, don't we? Um, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't do what Daniel um, tells him to do. He doesn't repent. He continues in his pride. That's that to which we read earlier. He, he still thinks of himself as being the source of his own power and his own majesty. And, uh, and exactly what God promised happens. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is driven away from the people. He eats grass. He lives in the grass um, with the animals. His hair and his nails grow really long. He stops cutting them for seven years. Um, so you can imagine how, um, how horrific he must, he must have looked. A lot like an animal. Um, this is a picture by William Blake of his, his interpretation. Um, so his, you can see his, his long hair. He's got long nails as well, but you probably can't see them as well in the picture. But... Um, yeah, he's, he would have almost become an animal, really. And that, that was God's judgment on him. But just as God keeps his promise of judgment, he also kept his promise of restoration. After the seven years, Nebuchadnezzar um, raises his eyes towards heaven and he praises God. Um, I think that's quite, quite symbolic, really, isn't it? He's, he's looking upwards. Before, he thought that there's no point for him to look upwards because there's nothing higher than him. But now he realises that actually there is. God is, is above him. Um, but this is, uh, we, we can't say this is something that's come from within him. It's not a decision that he's been able to make on his own. Um, this is a work that God has done. So note in verse 34 that um, Nebuchadnezzar's sanity is restored after he acknowledges God after he acknowledges him as, as sovereign. So this is, this is going to be a miracle of God. This, uh, this proud pagan king has turned from worshipping himself and worshipping this, this pantheon of, of other gods to worshipping the one true God, the most high God. And, and, then, and he basically writes his own little psalm, doesn't he? he writes his own psalm of worship um, to God. He praises God as one whose kingdom is eternal, um, as one who is way higher than any other person on earth. Someone, God, God who does exactly what he wants, and no one's able to say to him, don't do that. No one's able to um, stop um, his, his hand, his power um, from overcoming. He is the true God, the mighty God. Um, and now that now that he has bowed the knee to God, Nebuchadnezzar is restored to his throne, just as God promised. Um, he became even greater than before, it says. But now, instead of proudly telling people of his own greatness, he praises and exalts and glorifies the King of Heaven, because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. Like Nebuchadnezzar, we need to recognise God as the ultimate King. Um, I think uh, Christians can often get this wrong. We, we might not be proud in exactly the same way that Nebuchadnezzar was. Um, we, we might recognise God as the, the ultimate authority, the, the ruler of the universe and of our lives in a, in a general sense. But often we forget or, or we don't believe that God is, is in control even of the detail of our lives. 
I think we can treat God something like an energy drink. Um, there's a picture there of some, some Red Bull. We can treat God like an energy drink. So when we, we feel like when we're struggling, we can go to God for, like, for an extra little boost. You know, we don't need him most of the time. But when we're, when we're feeling down, when things are hard, we, we go to him for that extra boost and he sort of pushes us um, over, the, over the boundary, gets us through. Well, I think this is, this is pride as well. Because actually, God is more like, more than an energy drink, he's more like our heart. Didn't expect it to do that. The heart is beating as well, which is brilliant. Um, so, so yeah, God, God, is, God is more like our heart, which is constantly working, pumping stuff around our body, pumping food and, uh, and um, antibodies and that sort of thing, oxygen around our body to keep us going, to sustain us. It would be ridiculous if we said, oh, you know, I, I quite like my heart. You know, it's, it's, it's quite good. If, um, if I'm not feeling too well, or if, if I've just done a bit of exercise, it's great, and it, you know, it kicks in and gives me, a, gives me something extra to get over, um, get over that. But it's just, it is ridiculous, isn't it? Because your heart is beating all the time, sustaining you. Um, and, and it's equally ridiculous to think of God as just intervening at, at certain times, just being someone to give us a little boost. Because actually, um, he, he is in control of, of everything, of, of the whole of life. Um, I mean, he, he does intervene in special ways at particular times. Um, so like, like the dream that we read about here, and he's intervened in a special way. But he also, he's also the one who sustains us day by day. Jesus taught us um, to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Now bread's nothing special, is it? It's, like a, it's just a daily staple. It's something that we, kind of, we, we eat every day. But Jesus tells us that we should pray to God for it. And that's because um, we, we, need, we need it from God. God has to give us it. He, he sustains us, even in the, the things that we take for granted. He's, he's, he's there in every detail of our lives. It's not like he um, kind of created the world and wound it up like a clock and left it going, and then occasionally, you know, might, might intervene. He is always actively sustaining us and sustaining the world. And he's there in, in every detail. And pride creeps in when we forget that, or when we don't believe it. That's when we start to think, actually, I've got this part sorted, this part of my life sorted without God's help. I don't need him in that part of my life. Um, but that's, that's wrong. As we said before, some Israelites thought God had left them, and that they were successful on their own without him. But this chapter of Daniel would have shown them that their pride was wrong, and that God was still in control. What is it that that you're proud of and that you don't give glory to God for, but but give glory to yourself for? I don't want to try and think of examples for you. I'll I'll let you do that by yourself. But every one of us in this room is sinful. And because we're sinful, we we take the good things that God has has given us and kind of turn them around and, and make them as if they were something that we've done. 
I guess it's, um, I guess it's almost like plagiarism, um, but a lot more serious. Now, there's, a, there's a flip side to this truth as well, that God is working in everything. Um, because it doesn't just uh, challenge us about our pride, but it, um, it keeps us from despair. It encourages us when we're feeling like God is not at work, or when we forget that he is. When we're miserable in our circumstances, when we're angry at something someone's said or something someone's done, if we're frustrated that something's not happening quite the way we want it to, or in the time that we want it to, well, the truth that we've discovered in this chapter um, is, is going to help us to remember that God is even in control of all of that. So if we, if we face those situations with the knowledge that God is in control, we, we won't despair, we won't be paralysed by the situation. But we'll be able to pray something like this, Lord, I, I don't know what you're doing in my life right now, but thank you that you're in control and however bad things feel, you are there and you're at work in my life. So we can cross off that one as well. So there's no place for pride or for despair in the Christian life. Only rejoicing um, as we recognise that God is ultimately powerful. He is awesome. He is in control of everything. Um, so as Nebuchadnezzar did, did let's, um, let's sing praises to our, our great God now who is in control of all things.